When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Career Musician Podcast with creator and host, Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. Welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. On today's episode, we have Carl Ridland, composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor, and guitarist. Oh, by the way, did I mention overachiever? Oh my gosh, Carl, he started out with a degree in woodwinds and orchestration, and then, of course, expanding on that as a full-blown composer and conductor. As if that weren't enough, the man became a studio session guitar player. Like what? Oh my gosh, with a list of credits that read Adam Sandler, Hans Zimmer, Barbara Streisand, movies like Wonder Woman, The Lion King, The Joker, Star Wars Battlefront, Transformers, Captain America, Batman versus Superman. Folks, listen up. This is the stuff that career musician dreams are made of. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Career Musician Podcast. Today, we are with Carl Ridlin, guitarist, clarinetist, 
<laughs> which I learned. Very cool. You dug in. Uh, or That's right. Orchestrator, composer, arranger, music preparations. I mean, you name it. Carl has literally done it all in the Los Angeles TV, film, and other media music industry. Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah. Wow. Welcome, Carl. Thank you very much, Nomad. I appreciate you uh, having me on your show. Absolutely. So a good friend of ours connected us, Tarek Akoni. Yeah, Tarek. What a guy, man. That's right. An amazing session and touring guitarist here in L.A. Yep. Tarek introduced me to some great people, including Dave Friedman with Rack Systems. Yeah. And then, of course, Dave helped me build my rig. Uh, actually, which I have to show you, is the, it's the mothership right there. Sweetness. Look at that. <laughs> that's so cool. You know, but that's like, I'm sure you have one or at yeah, some point it's, you it's, had. Yeah, it's, it's sitting over there in the corner and I use it yeah. all the time. It's, <laughs> it, it was done by Bob Bradshaw right. 20 years ago. And it's yeah. been bulletproof. I think I've, I think I had him fix one switch in twenty years. Isn't that amazing? The work that these guys do is yeah. so bulletproof. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, my point is, Tarek was so kind to hook us up, yeah. Carl and myself. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. Mm. Very grateful to have you here. And like I mentioned the other day when we were on the phone, you brought up some great topics. One of the things you said, and you said it right out of the gate. I'm in the business of selling yes. Yeah, that's my I mean, line. Come on, man. That's beautiful. So. That's that's the reality of this place. Um, when I first moved here, it became real evident to me that nobody wanted to hear much about the reason for yes. They just wanted to hear yes. They didn't want to hear any caveats at all in your conversation. They wanted to hear I'm going to be there. As a matter of fact, they don't even really want to talk to you. <laughs> they, they just want to call. When I first moved here, you had an agency where you would have a phone person and people would call in and the, the they would say, hey, we need a guitar player. And the contractor would get a call from them and they'd call it, put it back out to the phone service. And you'd get a call from the phone service and they'd say, you know, be at Capitol at, you know, five o'clock tomorrow. Can you do it? And you'd say, yeah, sure, fine. So now that that has changed and there's not as many call services, if any, anymore, the people that call you directly are usually the composer or a, uh, or a contractor or your friends or whoever you're working for. And, and they really don't want to hear much more than yes. You know, they don't want to hear, they don't want to hear yes. And my kid's going to school at two 30 and I got to pick him up and be done so I can get there. They don't want to hear any of that. They just want to hear yes. Wow. That is so true. And I think if that, if we all adhere to that motto, in the music industry in general, I'm sure in many industries, but that is a great, uh, you know, a great creed. It so. cuts down on a lot of your own anxiety too, mm. because in the back of your head, and this is what I found over the years, in the back of my head, all that stuff plays out anyway. And right. if all I have to do is say yes or no, quite frankly, there's nothing to worry about. That's right. That's right. And why give yourself anxiety of, well, how is this going to work and how am I going to do that? Like you said, it all plays out. It all plays out. Yeah. As, as Mike Stern named one of his albums, is what it is, right? <laughs> it is what it is. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's awesome. So we started talking about the guitar, of course. I'm, I'm a guitarist, and of course you are. And then I dive in to learn, again, from our phone call, our brief phone call, that you studied with the great Tommy Tedesco. Yeah. After some deeper dives online, you studied with Pat Metheny. You studied with... Uh, 
um, oh my gosh, so many amazing Tim Pierce. That was it. Yeah. So Pat Metheny, Tommy Tedesco, Jamie Glazer, Carl Verhan, and Tim Pierce. Come on, wow. Yeah. Um, th- those were some huge, pe- and, and a lot of the people I've studied with have been either on the job, like when Dean Parks talks, you listen. You know, and he, I've been on several dates with Dean in my career. Not, not a ton, but a few. And, you know, you listen to those people and, and you study what they do in the moment or at the, well, everybody's grabbing a cup of coffee, you know, and, and you learn volumes from them. Way more in one session of watching Dean Parks or, or Tim May or any of those guys do a date than you'd ever learn in college. Wow. See, that is perfect. Now, for those who don't know, we're geeking out on the guitar history of the Los Angeles scene here. Yeah. Tim May, Dean Parks, Tommy Tedesco. These were, quote unquote, the godfathers of the L.A. studio scene. Yeah. One of, one of my best friends is another guy named uh, Mitch Holder. And right. Mitch and I used to go to lunch with a good friend of his who became a good friend of mine. Uh, another idol of mine, which w- his name was uh, Bob Bain. And he played oh, on The wow. Tonight Show. He played, he's the guy you hear when you hear the guitar on Moon River. Um, he played on, um, oh man, Peter Gunn, all that stuff. And you sit with him and hear about the stories from LA. Um, it's just fascinating and so cool. You learn so much. It's incredible. As a matter of fact, I his remember- album was one of the first albums I ever listened to as a guitar player. A friend of my dad's at his music store, when my dad owned a music store, gave me five albums when I told him I was going to be a guitar player and quit playing clarinet. No, I didn't tell him I was going to quit playing clarinet. That came later. <laughs> but this uh, guy that worked at my dad's music store gave me these five albums, and the one on top was Bob Bain, uh, his, uh, one of his wow. solo albums. That's awesome. Yeah. And Tommy had a few albums as well, yeah. I believe. His was yeah. in the stack. It was it was Bob Bain, yeah. Tommy Tedesco, Al Demiola, Land of the Midnight Sun. Um, <laughs> I forget what the other ones were. Um, a Tony Matola album, maybe? Oh, wow. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I remember I had Tommy's uh, VHS lesson series. Yeah. Do you remember that oh, back yeah. in the 80s, 90s? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, a, that was awesome. So you have to divulge a little bit. What was it like studying with Tommy? So obviously, like you said, you meet him on the session dates. You guys talk, chat it up a little bit, and then it kind of... Well, with Tommy, it was just a bit different. Carl Verheyen, I think, knew him and right. gave me his number. Carl was really helpful to me in my career. Uh, Jamie was super helpful to me. All these guys were. Um, but but Carl got me hooked up with uh, Tommy, and he also got me a, a Larry Carlton's phone number, which will be another story. But... I got to talk to Tommy. At, I went down to uh, MI, Musicians Institute, and he was doing a clinic there. And I got to talk to him, and he, he said, uh, why don't you uh, come over, and um, we'll see what you can do. So I go over to his house, and uh, he opens the door, and he says, so uh, where do you live, kid? And I said, well, <laughs> over in Van Nuys. What do you mean? What, what, what does that matter? And he goes, well, how long are you going to stay here? I said, well, the rest of my life. And he goes, okay, cool. I'll teach you then. Because if you're only going to give yourself like 20 years to succeed, you're screwed. Wow. So it's a long game thing. It was with him even back then. Now, that's a heavy statement because 20 20 years, and I I think I'm pretty impatient with myself i think as a lot of us are yeah yeah so 20 years that's that's a big window and and did he expound or that was like just his that was his criteria that was kind of a, 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 a thing he threw out there but i think it was really true because i think in my career i just kept staying 
mm. no matter what happened. And I think that came from that statement. I think the statement is is that it, there's an old Hollywood joke that says if you want to uh, if you if you want a gig, book a, a vacation. <laughs> if you want a career, move. Wow. Because it's just that time when you book a vacation, you go, and then the phone starts ringing off the hook. So if you move, that's two two days later, you'll have a you would have had a career. <laughs> That is awesome. I can remember that actually. Greg Fillingaines called me one day. Yeah. We were driving to Lake Arrowhead, and he's like, "Hey, I got a last minute gig," and I'm like, "Yep, oh no, I'm halfway to vacation with my." <laughs> Those so days you- are horrible times sometimes because you do have to make that decision do i pull the plug on what i was about to do or what we're in the middle of doing and go back to town or you know send everybody else out without me Mm. you know that takes a toll on your life it really does in that sense we're almost like doctors on call surgeons right yeah yeah yeah, without the money or the uh, prestige (laughs) Thank you. I always say that. Although we're not saving lives, we do not get any of the accolades. No, and, oh, and, that's and, funny. And you have to be okay with that part of it, too. That's right. That's right. Well, so so you studied at Colorado University, right? Uh, University and of Colorado, you, yeah. University of Colorado, sorry. And you started as a clarinet major, is this correct? Yeah, I, I started playing clarinet when I was four. Okay. Uh, my dad was a clarinet player, saxophone player, singer. He owned a music store and had a casual band in Denver. So I remember super distinctly waking up on my fourth birthday and thinking, I better get my life together here. I think <laughs> on I'll your be fourth birthday. Yeah, I think I'll be a musician. It's the only thing that makes sense to me because I got to see my dad. I'd go to the shop with him and you know see hang out with him. And I thought, you know, the only way I'm going to see my dad is if I'm working on the weekends with him because he was so busy. So when I was four years old, I decided to be a clarinet player, and my dad gave me a little E-flat clarinet. As a matter of fact, oh wow, I still have it. How cool! And is it sits that? on my desk over here. Um, this thing I ca- I didn't even have a mouthpiece for it when I was a kid. I just carried it around with me. And this is that little E-flat clarinet. And then he gave me a mouthpiece eventually, which was probably he <laughs> thought that was probably not such a great idea. <laughs> but I literally that thing went with me everywhere I went and I just fell in love with the clarinet and um, I played clarinet into college wow yeah yeah. what, what foresight though <laughs> that's so cool how you say at four years old I had to get my life together <laughs> I don't know what I just distinctly remember waking up you know how you, you, you sleep in your parents bed and you hang out with them and I remember waking up on my fourth birthday alone in my parents bed I can still remember the the green sheet cover that was on it. And I woke up and I went, whoa, I'm four. Wow. <laughs> I better get this going. That's awesome. This music that's thing. For, that's incredible. And then I was reading uh, on one of your sites uh, a little bit about your, your resume and bio here that Juilliard was like, uh, yeah, well, the guitar is not really an instrument. Yeah. So we'll take you on a clarinet, you know, scholarship. That was a rough point. It was uh, d- during my between my junior and senior year that summer. My dad and I went for a different auditions at a lot of universities, and we went to Juilliard, which was my number one pick. Since I was, I mean, my mom gave this to me. I had a card filled out of the things I wanted to do through my life, like when I was in junior high or grade school, and one of them was be the uh, principal clarinet player with the Chicago Symphony. Mm. That was my end goal. And I'd work towards that. And we were going to Juilliard for my audition. And New York 
1984, 85 just terrified me. Being from Denver, I'd never seen of, anything like that. Times Square, all that stuff down there by Juilliard. And, not Times Square, but you know, further down where Juilliard is. Sure. Um, it was terrifying. And when I went to my audition, at the end of it, I, the, the guy, the head of the clarinet department said, hey, um, you got any other questions? And I said, well, yeah, I'm also a guitar player and I'm thinking about maybe minoring in guitar. Who do I talk to about that? And he leaned in, he goes, look, kid, we're about to give you a free ride. Don't mention on your exit interview that you're a guitar player because you do re realize that's not a musical instrument, right? And I went, whoa, really? Wow. I wonder if this is such a great idea. So on the plane ride back, I told my dad, I, I don't I don't think I want to be a clarinet player anymore. Wow. And uh, he didn't talk to me for two weeks. <laughs> Your pop? Yeah. And oh, he was the man. nicest guy in the world. He never got mad at anybody, oh. but he was so like, what are you nuts? Get the scholarship. You can do your guitar thing later. Go to Juilliard. You can't undo that. Right. And, right. you know, I probably should have, but. Um, yes, yeah. but you still had a great path, man. Yeah. You know, yeah. Of it, course, it, starting in Colorado and then you came to L.A. and the, yeah. the Grove School of Music. But tell us this. How did you switch from or not switch, but how did you get interested in guitar? The guitar thing was simply because I couldn't play piano. I can't play the piano to save my life. This I don't <laughs> understand. This makes right. sense. This makes no sense. I can't get the two right. to work. And right. it physically hurts. I just can't. I love the instrument, but I can't play it. And my dad thought it would be a good idea for me to play a courting instrument. So between junior high and high school, he said, why don't you try guitar? Let me get you a guitar because he owned a music store. He got me this crappy little Franciscan knockoff of a D28. The fingerboard was literally painted on. I still have it. And um, I just fell in love with it. That's awesome. I fell in love with it. I opened the case and I looked at it and I, I forget who, what I, where I realized. I think I realized, oh, these are just half steps. Oh, that's easy. That's e right. Compared to, you know, fingering this thing and having an embouchure. Yeah, the keys on keys. any kind of woodwind. Oh yeah, my gosh, I, pl yeah. I played clarinet, saxophone, flute, bassoon, and oboe. Wow. So I was a woodwind doubler guy. And all those fingerings and stuff were just, you know, really like bizarre. And they're all different. And they're all pitched differently. But I thought the guitar, I'm looking at it, I'm going, well, those are just half steps. That's easy. How hard right. could this be? Isn't that interesting how I, that's a great dichotomy. Like you said, the woodwinds, all the key patterns are different for all the doubles. Yeah. Now, when you talk to Tommy Tedesco, his whole concept was, look, I don't care if you play bazooki, mandolin, banjo, tune it like a guitar. Yeah. Like that was the shortcut. And I've always adhered to that for yeah. me because I'm like you with piano. I can't get the two hands working. Uh, but I always took that guitar approach and tune everything like a guitar. But for you learning on those woodwinds, you didn't have that luxury. No, you don't have that luxury and you don't, you don't get the... Um you don't get the full picture of the of the orchestra. I was getting into a point where I was playing with big bands with my dad's big band a lot, and I thought I want to know what the trumpets are doing. So when we would go home on on Sunday mornings was the day we rebooked the whole big band because the guys would take charts out and throw them on the floor and just slam them back in. So we had to go back home and put all the charts in order for each part. So I started looking at the parts and kind of making my own scores from them because there were no scores for my dad's big band. They were just parts. And um, so I started putting them on score paper going, well, what are the trumpets doing? And mm -hmm. then I'd play them 
and figure out, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, that's what's going on with the trombones. Oh, that's what's going on with the woodwinds. And you can't do that on a single note instrument. Right. So you were playing them on guitar, these yeah. parts. Yeah. You start devising the score in your head. Is this how you got interested in orchestrating and arranging? Yeah. yeah, this is how I got interested in it because I wanted to know what everybody was doing because I don't know why. I just always thought it would be kind of cool. Once I started playing the guitar, I thought, you know, why? What are they, are they doing something that I, different than I am? Because mm. you, I don't know. I don't have perfect pitch. So I'm not like one of those guys that can just hear whatever everybody else is doing, which, is, which I'm really glad I don't. Same here. Um, I don't have it. <laughs> no, I have good relative pitch, and that's great because when I do takedowns, I don't have to hear it in one key and transpose. I can just write it out in whatever key. But I wanted to know what they were doing, and and, and in that process, I started writing charts for my dad's big band. Right. And doing how cool is that? Yeah. So I had a band at my disposal every weekend for whatever crazy thing I wanted to do. And that's truly amazing. A lot of it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but you essentially had the early stages of a DAW, right? Yeah. Only live. <laughs> Only live, exactly. And, and the great thing was the feedback from those players. Um, they would say, God, don't ever do this again. You know, I can't play that high. I can't leap like that. The instrument doesn't work that way. So then I go, oh, okay, so I'll never do that again. And then I'd ask them, I'd say, hey, can is this work if I, if I change it this way? And then I'd change the chart and we'd do it again the next week. Um, that's the best way to learn is by hearing what you've written. So true. Yeah, wow. you learn more in five minutes than you learn in four years of college. And you keep going back to that, and I love that because that's really essentially what this podcast is about. And the, my my slogan is, you know, empowering future generations with strategies for yes. longevity in their career. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what it's you, all about. Yeah, everything you keep saying points back to that. You mentioned that you learn more out in the workforce than in college. Several times you've mentioned that. Yes. Uh, I do agree. I think that when you're in the throes of it, that's when it really sinks in, right? It does. I think, um, with the exception of the Grove School, uh, that's a school that was here in Los Angeles until the early 2000s. It was started by Dick Grove and a lot of really famous writers and players went to that school. I think Lukather was in an early class. Um, a guy named Bill Ross, who orchestrates for a lot, and composer orchestrates for John Williams, um, he was in an early class. A lot of guys went to school there to study with Dick. Dick was a, a composer arranger, and he, um, I think he wrote on the Carol Burnett show. So again, his was all about doing it every week. So we would get an assignment on Thursday, and oh, look, there's my family showing up behind me. <laughs> we would get an assignment on Thursday of a song to arrange, and you had a play down on Tuesday morning. Wow. So you had to arrange it, copy all the parts, orchestrate it, and then you conducted it Tuesday morning for a live ensemble, whatever it was. And it started with like one trumpet and rhythm section. And you build it out to a full orchestra with a, with a big band by the end now, of was the year. This, obviously, this was by hand that you're copying. Yeah, everything. this was all by hand with ink. So then, I mean, I mean, now, all right, you're doing several jobs. You're, be, you're doing the copyist job. Yeah. You're arranging it. Yeah. arranging it, orchestrating it, and yeah. you're doing all three at once. Yeah. And oh, and have, then you're conducting. And then you got to conduct it, cause you, and you had five days to get it done. One chart, and we did a year's worth of this at Grove. Oh, my gosh. Talking about really getting that into your system. And that was awesome. That was a school that you really learned stuff in. Not that university wasn't. University helped me in a whole other way, but the Grove School was the best for 
deadlines, no excuses, you're never late, um, always be prepared, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of guy, great guys came out of that school. I love that. I did it for two years. Incredible. Yeah. So I love you're weaving in, in, in and out, which is perfect, with the pragmatic side of making music and, and doing the actual work as a musician, but also the business side. And that's one of the questions on my outline. This is so great. You know, one of the things is there are no excuses. No. There's just no excuses. There's nothing that you can come up with that hasn't already tried to be used in the past. And nobody listens. The, the, the other old Hollywood joke is, is nobody knows you're here, nobody wants you here, and nobody will miss you when you're gone. And ah. if you can get your head around that and you're okay with that, then you're ahead of the game. That's right. Um, there's no excuse. Um, it happens every day. There's, no, there's a timeline problem. That's all I do is solve problems. I love that you mentioned that as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. We had a, a thing come up one time when we were doing the, uh, the Oscars with Hans a few years ago. He was the musical director. And one of our orchestrators um, had a stroke the night before the pre-record session. And so I call up and I'm like, oh man, I found out, you know, I found out that, uh, well, his brother had called me and said, hey, uh, he had a stroke. And and I said, well, where, where is he? What hospital is he? And he's just like, no, 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 you got to finish this chart for tomorrow morning. And I said, well, okay, well, what do I do? He said, call the copyist. He'll get you wherever he left off and you can finish it. I said, okay, great. So I get the information from the copyist and it was a 400 bar cue. And he had stopped at bar five. It was 11 o'clock at night, and it had to be on the stand at 10 a.m. 70-piece orchestra. That seems humanly impossible. Nope. You did it. You did it. That's all there is to it. There's no excuse. You just... And again, I, when, Bruce, when, when they were talking to me about that, and Walt said to me, you got to do this, I said, okay. Yes. Right. Right. You know. And you're talking about Bruce and Walt Fowler. Yeah, Bruce and Walt right. Fowler. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, and that's a fascinating story as well. So, wow. So you you're drinking coffee and staying up all night. Oh yeah. And you handed it in. Handed it in. Played down. Nobody said anything about it, so it was fine. In this Done. business, if you get a call, if you get no call, everything went fine. That's oh, amen. You're never gonna get the accolades. That's right. And you're the only time anybody's gonna call you is if something went wrong. That's so true. Yeah. No news is good news. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I slept yeah. the and next day. <laughs> <laughs> and submit and forget. Yeah. Once you submit, that's it. Move yeah. on. Right? One of the things, I don't know if we talked about this the other day, but one of the things that became real evident to me real early when I started writing, not so much when I was a player, because being a player, you're expected to produce you know, immediately and you have to get there and you have to get back home and there's a lot going on all the time with that world. As a writer, you're by yourself a lot more. You have to be a self-starter. And it became real evident to me early on that if I started charging for my work, I was going to be very heartbroken very quickly. Mm. I don't charge for music. I charge for everything else. I give music away. Wow. I charge to sit in this chair. I charge to get up in the morning. I charge 
to get into this room. I charge to get to the session. I charge to drive home, but I never actually charge for music. And it's just a mindset that I learned early on because if I give it away, their opinion doesn't hurt. Mm. If I charge for it, and this is just speaking for me, if I charge for my music, their opinion starts to matter and hurt if they don't like wow. it. So as a self-protective thing, I realized early on, I never charge for music. I give that away. I charge for everything else. Wow. What, what a great motto. That is fantastic. Or really, that's a mindset. It's, it's beyond it's, a motto. Yeah, it yeah. had to be a mindset that I could get my head around to do this job because there's a lot of people that say, oh, if you can accept that, you know, it's kind of like being a prostitute. You're, you're just giving it away <laughs> and, you know, there's not a, a recognition of it. Yeah, to an extent. But... I like the anonymity to an extent mm. and I like being appreciated by my peers like yourself and a lot of uh, guys that I grew up. If they dig what I did, man, I'm thrilled. That's my pay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying up here. You, oh, you're yeah. one of, you know, you're one of the guys that I look up to for oh, sure. Man. So you're too kind. <laughs> uh, I, well, no. And, and your humility is just volumes. And I love that. And, uh, again, I always find you go higher up the ladder in talent and skill level, the nicer the people are, the more yeah. humble they are. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, so that's just fantastic. I'm Carl Ridland, and you're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with Nomad. Want to learn more about a particular topic? Tag at the Career Musician and use hashtag Career Musician to let us know what you'd like to hear. Hey, Career Musicians, if you're looking for something new and productive to do, why not pick up that guitar in the corner and put it to use? I've partnered with a company called Jamplay.com for online guitar lessons, and I currently have four lesson series on their site. When signing up for their monthly membership, be sure to use coupon code NOMAD and you'll receive a 30-day free trial. Monthly memberships start at just $19.95 and go down in price if you choose to pay annually. Whether you're interested in learning progressive math metal with Tosin Abasi from Animals as Leaders, fiery country picking with Nashville studio ace Brent Mason, or modern countrified shredding with Andy Wood, pop and modern R&B with Lady Gaga's guitarist Tim Stewart, brush up on your 80s shred skills with Steve Stevens from Billy Idol, study solo acoustic guitar tricks with legendary maestro Phil Keggy, or study one of four lesson series with yours truly jam play literally has everything you could ever desire for learning guitar so don't wait don't procrastinate share this with your friends we all know somebody who wants to learn how to play guitar and don't forget to use coupon code nomad when signing up for their monthly memberships to get a 30-day free trial period that's right 30 days free at jamplay.com. Use coupon code NOMAD. 
Nomad is the career musician. Stream the Career Musician podcast, highlighting interviews with other industry professionals and providing insight and practical wisdom for the next generation of aspiring career musicians. Okay, getting back to your body of work. Carl, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, the list is like, and I'm really not trying to blow smoke here or inflate you, but like you keep, I thought I had a pretty good resume. You know, when you look, put it on a PDF, you know, oh, yeah. it looks pretty neat. Yeah. You scroll a couple of pages. Yours is like, oh my goodness, it just doesn't stop. But I think a part of what is attributed to that is how you have learned so many different skills and you can literally, you know, bob and weave in and out of each. So talking about in the early days with your woodwind studies and then your arranging and then your guitar skills, but then you're orchestrating and then you're conducting. Wow. You mentioned to me the other day about a session that you had to, you were thrown up on the stand immediately and you had to conduct. Yeah. And you were talking to yourself again, one of those things that we talk about, like Tommy would always say, just say yes. Right. And as you're walking from the, from one location to the other location, you're saying, I can do this. And you did it. You, you have to be a little nuts. Huh. You have to be a little insane to, to, to say yes like that. That's and right. I don't know if it's um, narcissistic or <laughs> I don't know what it is, but mm. you have to kind of believe it. You have to kind of believe it. And I'm a big a believer in thinking about it in your head before you do it. You know, you, you, your, your, your thoughts determine your, real, your reality a lot. That's right. Um, I know it sounds Star Wars-y, but it's true. Your, your thoughts do determine your reality. And I love it. I'm a big follower of Earl Nightingale oh, and those yeah. whole, you know, that whole faction of yeah. thinkers. And, yeah. I think it's really important to have a great mindset about what you're going to do because then you'll be better prepared to flow with whatever's going on. The, the thing you were talking about was a, a, a session I was doing at Abbey Road, my first time at Abbey Road Studios, which was, you know, a huge treat in and of itself. I was an orchestrator on this project. And the uh, band was the London Symphony Orchestra, the same guys that played on Star Wars. The exact same guys, not a studio group, the London Symphony Orchestra. Wow. And the composer on this session um, insisted that he conduct mm. his own music. Fine. Well, after the first day, the guild president, who is also the principal bass player, came up to the producer of the record and said, um, if the composer is conducting tomorrow, we quit. Because he's so bad. And this is on a Friday. So we heard this and he had to explain it to the composer and they're going to find somebody else. So I went back to my hotel. I had a great dinner and a bottle of wine and went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Came back in the next morning and I said, so who'd you guys find? Uh, it should be interesting today to see how this goes. And the producer of the record looked at me and he goes, you orchestrated all this, right? And I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, you're conducting. <laughs> I'm Okay, yes. And then I got the London Symphony for four more days. Wow. Yeah. That was my first conducting gig for money. And because of your self-confidence to say yes and that belief that you can do it. By that time, it was so ingrained to just say yes and try and do it from the That's other right. stuff, from learning from Tommy, from learning kind of how to fake it in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, because you have to have a certain amount of skill to do it. Right. I had, it's not like I'd never conducted before. I'd studied with a really great conductor named Jack Fairman at Grove and conducted for a year straight. This was 
a few years after that, I'd conducted some live stuff. I'd been an MD for a couple of people. So you have to have some background behind you to say yes. The trick is when to say no. Mm. That's the trick. And I think that comes up, goes back again to Tommy Tedesco. Three reasons to take a gig. Does it pay great? It, does it advance your career? Or is it just like super fun? Mm, that's right. If it doesn't meet that criteria, you should probably say no. Or if you realize you're just not the guy for the gig. Yes. Yes. And that's a whole nother set of questions you need to know what to ask when someone calls you. Right. When someone calls early on in my career, they would say, do you play banjo? And I go, yeah. Where, when? I refined that later on after getting in trouble a couple of times because I'm not <laughs> a good banjo player. I play six-string bantar. You know, I play the dreaded bantar. Uh, guilty as charged as well, yes. You know, and I can <laughs> fake it, but I'm not a real guy. Yeah. The real question became, are you looking for a color of banjo or are you looking for a banjo? The real deal, yeah. Because I got six guys that are way better banjo players than oh, me. That's right. Let me give you their number. If they just go, you know what, we need you to play guitar, we need to play balalaika, we need to play banjo, we need to play mandolin, we need you to, it's a TV date, we just need the color. Then I go, yeah, fine. I'll be there. So awesome. Yeah. And and no other people, so and any time you have someone sub for you, send someone better than you. Mm. And so, yeah, you know, that's a great topic. You feel, you truly do feel that way. Yeah, I really do. You got to send somebody better than you. You can't be afraid. No, and it, it'll never, ever work out if you send someone worse than you because they'll never, ever forget that you did it. And that could hurt you more. It will definitely hurt you more. Than the opposite of, of, of somebody else better and then, and then never calling you because they got this new guy from you. Yeah. I have never experienced a writer or someone I was working for not calling me back because someone else was better than me. Right. They appreciate it. I do. When I'm conducting and someone says, I can't be on your session, but I've got this guy I can send and it's, you know, whoever. And you go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He's great. Good. I'm definitely going to call my originally guy back, my original guy back. Now, I may want to incorporate the new guy every time my original guy is not available. Right. But I'm always going to call my, new, my original guy back because he was smart enough to send a guy better than him. That's right. But let's talk about the fact that your self-awareness is strong enough to admit that and to acknowledge that, to say that. Now, I always say in music, it's not like uh, athletics where everything can be quantifiably measured, right. right? Right. The metrics really aren't here in music. No. Because there's no stats. There's no scores to show, well, well, you conducted, you, you got a 9.5 on your conducting skills, you know, and I got a 7, you know. <laughs> no, the only quantification is, did you eat today? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's really all musicians care about, right? All I care about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can relate to that. But at the same time, when you see someone who is working on a skill, whether it's an instrument or like you said, writing or arranging, and you just look, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so blown away by what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the, the, the again, the self-awareness, that's where the quantifying comes in to say, okay, they took it to a level that perhaps I couldn't. Oh, definitely. And do you know what the first thing I do is? I ask for their phone number and find out if I can study with them. Amen. That's it. Yes. I've been doing that since I'm 15. Yes. Exactly. That's why. That's one of the th reasons I have so many friends of mine that are in the business is because I probably studied with them. 
How cool is that? I mean, I'm constantly studying. I still um, study conducting. I still study guitar with people. I still study composition with people. Um, there's always somebody better than you, like dramatically better than <laughs> than the. And for me too, I'm 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 a I'm a guy that. I mean, we're all sitting here thinking, why are we here? When are they going to figure out I'm a fraud? Wow. You know, we're all thinking that. I, th I think that all the time. Yeah. So, so I figured I'd embrace that uh, early. The, 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 the movie that killed me about that was Amadeus. Mm. I think the real message in that movie was not that Amadeus was a whack, that Mozart was a whack job. I don't know that that was even portrayed properly. But the point was more about Salieri. Instead of getting angry, he should have studied with Mozart. Mm. He would have been better off. Wow. Yeah. I always love when people are better than me. Yeah. Yeah. But like you, again, you have to be open with yourself. It could be a, a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but I agree with you. If you swallow that pill and say, you know what? Let me roll up my sleeves and dig in. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's what determines a lot of whether you're going to be a pro or not. Mm -hmm. A pro player. Mm -hmm has a few things in his arsenal that makes him a pro. And one of them is knowing that you're never a pro. <laughs> you never achieve it. Because, and this is something, uh, Pat Metheny says this in a couple of videos, and he told me this. I mean, I had a, a, a jazz camp with him. is how I studied with him. Okay. He said that when you learn something, you move up a little bit. And then you learn another thing, and you move up a little more. But then this new level of learning goes way up here for your next jump. It isn't just another stair step, equidistant. Uh, it goes that much further for the next level to get to. And then next level is so much further up that if you keep going, there's a point where you, you really you realize it's kind of unattainable. Right. The and exponential it is, growth is just... It's so yeah. hard to keep up with. It's right? hard to keep up yeah. with. It's hard to fathom that you can even do it sometimes. Right. You know, right. I, I don't know. And then there's some things you're just good at. Some people are just really good at what they do. And they, I mean, Pat Metheny came out sounded like Pat Metheny probably when he was two. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. You know? I was going to ask you about that. Even though it was a short time, was it enjoyable studying it's a fabulous. little bit with him? He gave me yeah. one of my two best guitar lessons I ever had in my life. Uh, he let me play his ES-175. He said, I've been, yeah. noticed you've been playing it. You want to try it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I gave him my, I think I had a 335. And we were playing, and about halfway through it, he leaned over to me, and he looks at me, and he goes, still sound like you, don't you? That's right. Yeah. It was really important. I think that was fabulous advice. Because you do. You sound like you, whether you like it or not. That's right. You know? And, and for, for finding your own style, it's the same way Verheyen told me this. He goes... The best thing you can do is record yourself playing and listen for all the stuff that you can hear that you don't hear anyone else do and then cultivate that. Focus on that. Focus on That's that. Right. That stuff that you don't hear anybody else doing, practice that. Right. Steve I says same, yeah. same concept. Same, yeah. same kind of concept, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? That's great affirmation from you because that's what I've been doing. So thank you. <laughs> and I hope the listeners out there say the same things to themselves. Look, again, this podcast is all about trying to make ourselves feel better because this business is so hard and the craft of music is so difficult. Yeah. And, so and those sometimes, affirmations. Sometimes you just need permission. Ah, I love that. Like for anybody that's listening out there on this thing, for what it's worth, 
I'm charging exactly what my opinion's worth. <laughs> I give you guys permission to go be whatever it is you want. Mm. Sometimes someone has to just tell you, I give you permission to go do it. And sometimes that comes in forms of someone telling you they think you're good. Someone telling you you think that what you're doing is valuable. Sometimes it's someone just saying, turning and going, hey, great job, kid. Or just even taking the time to say, don't do that. That's right. You know, I remember Grove, if, if, if he said nothing to you, if Dick Grove said nothing to you after your performance, he hated you. If he tore you apart, that means he cared enough to take a minute to do it. Wow. You know, so yeah. I give everybody permission. Go do it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, we heard it here. That's it. Carl Ridlin has said we have permission to go suck or be great or anything in between. Go do it, man. I mean, that, that about yeah. right now, that's the weird thing is everybody's sitting at home trying to figure out what they're going to be when they grow up. That's right. That's you right. Know, Especially um, in the middle of a quarantine type situation. Yeah. What came after the Black yeah. Plague? The Renaissance. Ah. Oh, that's right. So everybody's sitting at home going, why would I go back to that horrible job I had? I just learned to play the cello. Mm. Or I learned to paint. Or I've been playing Legos with my kid or whatever, you know. That's right. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I just watched Lego Masters with my daughter. That's Great show. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Man, and that's such a good point. What happened after the Black Plague, the Renaissance? Yeah. Now, the other day you told me, again, some some very encouraging information when i first moved to la in 2005 i came out here because i wanted to pursue tv and film music as it relates especially to guitar um but i always thought in order to consider myself a composer i needed to be an orchestral based composer oh, which right. i never was right because i never studied but then i started focusing on my little strengths that i found well identity you know self-identifiable uniqueness right <laughs> unique qualities and then i realized oh no i am a composer you come to that realization, but just in my own way. Everybody's a composer in their own way. And that's the best thing you could possibly be. Get rid of the family here again. Uh, yeah. Best thing you can possibly, they keep looking at me. Uh, <laughs> I got enough dogs barking in my head. Right. Um, the best thing you can do is be you because that's all you have. You can't be John Williams. And there's a lot of guys that I know that spend their entire lives doing nothing but wanting to be those guys. And I work for those guys and they're great, but they're never him. Mm. And they never will be him. And when he's gone, that's it. So you're way better off being you. Um, composing. I've worked with so many different types of composers. I don't even know how you quantify what, what it is anymore. I've worked with people that I would consider sound designers more than composers and yet that's perfectly valid too i mean what is composition it's organiza organizational noise that's right so whatever you do to fit yourself into that world as long as it's organized in some fashion then i, I and this is again my opinion again i'm charging exactly what it's worth my opinion is as long as it's organized and recognizable as somewhat organized even if it's on a really subconscious level, it's still art. When you do random stuff, but you put it all in the same place, then it's organized at some level. <laughs> you're still on the same room. You're doing a similar thing. Um, I specialize a lot in aleatoric music, which is all chance stuff um, uh, for orchestra. Still organized. So 
there again, the most uh, back to, back to one of the things I was going to say earlier, and I, I forgot about it. Um, was one of the most important things you can learn is form. As a matter of fact, it's really the only important thing to learn is form. The rest of it you can be taught of structures and ranges of instruments and all that stuff. But when you're writing, right. a lot of people forget about form. And it's the one thing that your audience can really understand on a subconscious level without having to think. Even if you're thinking about music, if you go verse, verse, chorus, verse, bridge, verse, chorus, outro. Right. We all know that. Right. And we know the feel of that because most people dance or move and it's super important. Yeah. Or they have favorite songs programmed in their psyche yeah, yeah. over the years. Yeah. yeah. That makes such perfect sense. You remember when Pat Metheny did that White Noise album? Yeah. And and it was basically what you just said yeah. is the perfect example. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Composition. Well, compositionally, yeah. um, Nine Inch Nails. Um, those guys, I think, is almost entirely just form sometimes. Right. You hear some of that stuff and you're like, whoa, what is that? Uh, Stephen Reich, right. same thing. That's uh, right. You go, whoa, what is what is this? Uh, shaker loops, really hard to find the form, the, the notes and what he's doing sometimes, but you can hang your hat on the form a lot, even though right. it's overlapping and swirling. Uh, right. Sometimes that's the form. And nowadays, like you mentioned, sound design has become so synonymous with composition, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that? Have you worked much? I mean, I know you've worked on everything, including the Joker and yeah. Wonder Woman, and the list goes on. So tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Sound design, I think, in music is becoming more and more valid because people are reaching for something else, mm. and it's got to be attainable in this room now, especially with this virus thing. I just got done working on them. A little short for a friend of mine that's a director, um, did it all here. Uh, the majority of where we went is what I would call musical compositional sound design. It was all guitar noises. 80% of the movie was guitar noises that I made here with the rack and plugins and banging the guitar and weird wang bar stuff and slide sure. and tapping, all the weird stuff that we do and effects. Right. It worked for the picture. It was a creepy movie. And he loved it. That's and it awesome. was done here. That's incredible. I love those type of yeah. projects. Yeah, they're really fun. And then oh, the end of it had some orchestra stuff. But, you yeah. know, you, you really, you sh everybody should embrace whatever they do. I mean, you can go back to, to Mozart. And he said, when he was asked, how do you compose? In his letters to his dad, he wrote, I use this, this, and this. That's right. And neither one of them has a hierarchy. None of, none of them have a hierarchy. Sometimes your brain is more important to you in a moment. Sometimes your ears become more important. Sometimes just your gut feeling becomes more important. That's right. So if you wow. can tune into that somehow, that helps. Yeah, and, and, and the combination thereof, right? Yeah, yeah, and everybody yeah. does it differently. Um, on Joker, it was a lot of really unique sounds. Really mm -hmm. unique sounds and done in unique ways. Um, Hilder just has a real, um, would be the word, a real grasp of who she is. Very cool. And what she does. Um, as much as John Williams does. In a different way. Each valid in their own way. Again, there's that permission and that validation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastically helpful. <laughs> It really is. Hey, uh, talking about all of the people you've worked with and uh, 
the in the composer world, especially the aspiring younger composer world, there's lots of noise about the Hans Zimmer camp and his whole little, you know, <laughs> yeah. complex, right, of people of his stable. What's that like working with Hans? And then also doing those epic live tours were just incredible with all of the musicians at the same time on those giant stages all over the world. I Han mean, Hans is a rock star. Yes, um, people, apparently. People forget he's just, what he's really, I mean, wonderful human being, super nice guy. Just, he can be in a room of 2,000 people. And I, I've witnessed this. We were, we were at um, the Santa Barbara Bowl being a guest in the audience because I, I don't play with him live. Um, I do the orchestrations, but they had invited me and my family to come. And I'm telling you, Hans was standing on stage in front of the entire Santa Barbara Bowl, and he felt like he was talking to me. Right. He's got a gift for that, and it's really fabulous gift to have, um, in addition to all his other skills, which are massive. Um, I've never seen a point of diminishing returns from him, ever. Most people, when you listen to their mock-ups... They get to a point where the sound starts to take over. It's almost like that feeling you have when you're running too fast and you just can't run anymore and you fall over. He never reaches that point. Wow. Yeah. He never reaches a point of diminishing returns. That's incredible. Yeah. Great people to work with. Fabulous. On this same path, again, you've worked with so many greats. Any memorable moments that really stand out? And I know I'm sure there's so many. <laughs> uh, maybe one or two that come to mind quickly. Oh, my gosh. Um, memorable moments. With composers? Or anyone, really. Oh, with yeah. anyone. Like the time oh, you know, Tommy tells you stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell well, you one more guitar Whomever. player. When I had the, the Tommy thing, the Matheny thing, and then there was one. Uh, Verheyen gave me uh, Larry Carlton's phone number in there Nashville. He had already moved. And I'm yeah. a huge Larry Carlton fan. Same here. Uh, yeah, who's not, right? Right. <laughs> I left a message on his phone. Cole called him, and he was—he called me back about a day later, I think. He was gracious enough to call me back. He'd never heard of me, I'm sure. Just on the strength that Carl Verheyen had said, I said, Carl Verheyen gave me your number. Right. And he's, he gave me the second best guitar lesson I've ever had. And he said to me, Cultivate horizontal money. You're going to need it. Are you a career musician? Do you have issues with getting paid sometimes? Figuring out the sociology or the psychology of a gig? Or maybe you don't know how to take your career to the next level? Then check out the Career Musician Facebook group, which was created to help cultivate a supportive culture of one another in this crazy business of music that we're in. Coming up in the trenches, man, sometimes this can be overwhelming. Well, that's what the group is for. Share your struggles. Share your insecurities. Share your victories. And share your insight and knowledge. And let's help one another grow together together as a career musician community trust me there's plenty of work to go around sometimes you just have to look at things from a different perspective and what better way to do that than to share with our fellow career musicians go to facebook.com slash career musician to like the page and then click on the career musician facebook group from there keep in mind there are some house rules we must love and respect one another 
No self-promotion. This is about a group effort to lift one another up. And if you have any questions or you'd like to see a particular artist or musician interviewed on the Career Musician Podcast, go ahead and post it here. We'll check it out and see if we can make that happen for you. Thanks again for listening to the Career Musician Podcast. This is Nomad signing off. Rock and roll, R&B, and everything in between. Download, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Nomad here with the Career Musician Podcast. Thank you for listening. I wanted to tell you about hashtag AskNomad to ask me any music-related questions, and I will respond usually within 24 to 48 hours. Again, that's hashtag AskNomad. Ask me anything you'd like about the music biz, about your instrument, about practicing, about music theory, anything at all that has to do with music, and I will answer your questions, share, repost, and put it out there for all of the Career Musician Podcast family to see and hear. Thank you so much for listening. This is Nomad, and remember to use hashtag AskNomad. The Career Musician Facebook group encourages musicians to share both their victories and trials with one another. Join the conversation at the Career Musician Facebook group today. Horizontal money, for those of you that don't know what that is, that's money you get when you're laying horizontal. You're not working for it anymore. You've done the job. It's called residual payments, ASCAP, BMI, special payments. That's right. And what he meant by you're going to need it is, is as your career at that time, as my career was going to mature over time, you were going to need that residual income to survive, not just for fun and vacations and cars and houses and whatever recreational thing you're into. Uh, you were going to need it to survive. And he was right. That's part of the Man. paycheck now. So, so true. Yeah. Wow. So cultivate so, horizontal money. Yes. I love that. Passive income, mailbox money, you know, residuals, royalties. And I talk to my musician friends all the time. One of the things they ask me is, well, why be a union member? They don't get me gigs. They don't have a health plan, blah, blah, blah. They charge me to join. I say, well, one reason, special payments. Yeah. <laughs> the second reason, the SAG after fund. You know, it's like, so if, again, I know you know uh, very well these these forms of income really help. Special payments is what the records you've played on. Uh, special payments is the movies I've worked on. Okay, the movies. And then, oh, and the film market, the secondary... So that's the same thing. Special payments is the, the secondary yep. film. Yeah, special payments. Right. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, and then the sound recordings. That's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, sound recordings is stuff you played recordings. on. Records, things that went to anything that had a secondary market. A secondary market means... After the initial release in the theater or in a record, if a movie plays on TV or if it goes to an airplane or gets used as a section on a TV show, that's a secondary use or secondary market. And we split 1% of the gross income. Right. And it's pretty interesting how that 1% actually is quite a bit. It can be, depending can on, be on, on how the movie does how it sells, because once it does well in the theater, they can charge more for it in the secondary markets. That's right. So it depends how long it plays. Like I've, I've played on things that have gone 20 years, 30 years of paying again and again in secondary markets things. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I was at one point, I, I don't know if I still am or not. I'd have to find out, but 
I'd have to look. At one point, I was the guy that played on Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm the banjo at the beginning of it. At one awesome. point, awesome. So that was that. I got, I got paid residuals on that for a long time. That's right. Wow, incredible. So there you have it. All my musicians who wonder about the union, that's reason enough. <laughs> it's reason enough, and and there's a there's a certain amount of camaraderie with it, yeah, and there's I a agree. certain amount of. Um, you belong. Like there's a great line from this movie I just watched last night called, uh, what was it? Something, uh, history, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. And, um, one of the characters says to the other, you have to buy a house here. You can't rent in Hollywood because if you don't buy a house, you don't live here. So you have to have some skin in the game. I think is the point of all that. You got to have some skin in the game. You got to buy a house here. You got to live here to do it. I agree. I agree. For all and, those out-of-towners that ask, hey, well, can I come and do an audition? Can I fly it? And I, yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Well, it goes back to Tommy <laughs> saying, do you live here for the next 20 years? Are you going right. to only, give yourself only 20 years to make it? Or are you going to be here forever? Right. There you go. There you go. That's the, that's the, the secret is, is longevity. It's like anything else. You, you, the way to amass wealth is time. Mm. If you're in the stock market over time, it's going to grow yeah you're gonna have ups and downs but don't check your stock every day same thing in the business here you're gonna grow your schedule is gonna get filled you're gonna have down times like now where something happens you can't control but over time given time you'll be fine that's right i i tell uh, i teach i teach at my school my son's school i teach the jazz band there for high school because last couple years a couple years ago their band director retired kind of last minute and they asked if i could do it and i thought oh i'm the world's worst teacher but i'll, I'll kind of watch my mouth and get through it <laughs> to help them out and it's become very rewarding teaching and i tell my kids this i tell them the jump story here's the jump story um you're going to find yourself at the edge of the cliff of a cliff one day. And you're going to have two choices. You can either stay there and I will guarantee you nothing will happen. Or you can jump. And if you jump, I can guarantee you your parachute will open. Ooh. You're going to hit the wall a couple of times on the way down and you might get a little bloody from it. But I guarantee you, your parachute will open and you'll end up somewhere new. If you don't jump, nothing will happen. If you do, your parachute will open and you'll end up somewhere new and different. I'm telling you, your intuition and your ability to teach just with comforting words is amazing. Oh. So <laughs> I was well, going to ask you for that words story. Of- I was going to ask you for words of wisdom to close us out, and that is perfect. It couldn't be more appropriate. So I stole that you. story from uh, comedian, what's his name, um, Harvey, the guy that does uh, Family Feud. Family Feud. Yeah, the comedian. Um, I can't think of. I any. remember Family Feud though. Yeah, it's, it's it's the the newer Family Feud. Uh, I can't think of. Oh, you're name. talking about Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. I stole that from Steve yeah, Harvey. Right. Oh, really? Okay. That's right. His I bit. have heard that. I steal yeah. all my material. You'll find out. You'll watch a movie. You'll hear uh, all of it. But hey, it's all. There's nothing new under the sun, right? So it's, it's just it's just about it's mindset. All, that's right. That's right. Man, well, you have that same ability. I really feel like you and I have been buddies for quite some time, and we just met. Yeah, yeah, kindred spirits. Yeah, and we met virtually. Again, Isn't that crazy? Tarek. Yeah. yeah, thanks to Tarek. He's, he's one of the best. 
Absolutely. He really Absolutely. is a fabulous The embodiment of everything we're talking about. He really is. He really is. And he's so just naturally that person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. As sure. are you, my friend. Oh, well, you too. And, <laughs> and I, use, I use that word. I get to call you my friend now. Yay. Oh, I'm that's excited. awesome. <laughs> so, hey, to wrap this up, would you yep. mind if we do a, a rapid fire questions just for fun? Oh, sure. Yeah. I, and don't think about it. Just say whatever comes to mind. All right. Here we go. Drum roll, please. Bam. Favorite food? Steak. Favorite libation or just regular drink? Doesn't have to oh, be adult. Um, Rhone wine. I'm a wino. Love it. Favorite sport? Golf. How do you spend your free time, assuming you have any? Oh, <laughs> uh, with my family. Excellent. What, acti what activities do you enjoy on long flights besides sleeping? A practicing guitar. I drive stewardesses nuts. I bring my little Steinberger right. or one of those travel guitars and I, sure. I, I, I drive them nuts. I love that. I used to do that all the time. Yeah. I haven't flown in a while. But wow. Okay. Well, I don't think much any of us have flown no. in a while. Uh, <laughs> what's the last song, band, or artist you've listened to that you weren't working on? Well, let me look on the phone and see. Oh, I like it. Let's see. What did I listen to last? Michael Brecker live in Italy Sweet. with Mick Goodrick and Steve Gadd. Mick Goodrick, who wrote the the, the famous guitar book. Uh, yep, uh, Advancing Guitarist. Advancing Guitarist. Thank you. you. Steve Gadd on drums. Yeah, Steve wow. Gadd. Steve, Steve and the Gadd band, as a quick aside, my buddy yeah. Walt Fowler is in the Gadd band, plays trumpet oh. with them. So I've been to see them a ton. They're a great band. If you ever get a chance, wow. go see them. Do it, yeah. Amazing. And, and speaking of Brecker, God rest his soul, we yes. miss him. Uh, I always think of Heavy Metal Bebop because that's what got me into Brecker. Yeah. <laughs> what, what an a album. great album. Wow. <laughs> okay, sorry. Side tangents. That's okay. uh, favorite TV show or movie that you might be streaming now and enjoying? Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China. Horrible movie. Love. My wife hates it. I think it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Tells you a awesome. little bit about me. Okay. Uh, when we weren't quarantined, shopping online or brick and mortar? Which do you prefer? Oh, online. Okay. Yes. Even when we're not quarantined. Yes. I, I've been practicing self-quarantining since I was six. As a lot of us musicians are. Yeah. I love that. That's one of your great one-liners. <laughs> <laughs> this one's hard. You've collaborated with so many amazing uh, music creators and, and, and creative beings in general. If you had a dream collaboration, what would it be? Prince. Love it. I got to see him record as an aside. I got to see him record Sexy MF live. I, ah. I was at the date when he did it. I was there working with Claire Fisher, and they kicked us out, and him and his entourage came in looking like they were going to a full concert. He right. sat down and recorded the whole thing soup to nuts by himself. Wow. No click. Woo. One of the baddest, funkiest songs of oh yeah, this side of James yeah. Brown, right? Ridiculous. Dang. Man. All right. And finally, what would you do if you weren't a career musician? Decompose. Decompose. <laughs> the opposite of compose. <laughs> I, I don't think I would make it. I love that. I yeah. really don't. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. socially awkward. Um, yeah. I have a terrible, weird, odd sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have the brain power to do anything but this. Right. Um, I'm terrible with 
little. Th- I couldn't be a surgeon. I'd kill people every day. They put me in prison. I'd, I'd be in prison. <laughs> I'd probably have to steal for a living, and I wouldn't well, be good at that. In a sense, you're a musical architect and a musical surgeon. That, because you're, you know. <laughs> there was there was a composer I studied with named Toro Takametsu. All right, um, saw that. Yeah, and, and Taro always uh, the translation is, if you want to be a musician or an artist of any kind, for that matter, if you want to, it's the hardest, grueling, gut wrenching, soul draining thing you could want to do. If you have to be a musician or an artist, it's a beautiful life. Mm. That's the difference. Whether you want to or you have to. I had no choice. Wow. My my other my fallback plan? Zero. Yeah. I can relate. My father told me you don't need a plan B. Just just knock out your plan A. No, your 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 plan yeah. B is 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 a guaranteed failure. Yeah. If you have a plan B, you should go do it. <laughs> I mean, I, and I don't mean to be uh, rude to anyone out there that's listening, but there's a lot better things to do in life than try to do this. A lot more right. worthwhile, by the way, too. Because look at now who the essential workers are. They're certainly not film composers that's right. or guitar players. Though we, we are a drain on our current situation as opposed to... Oh, there's Sammy. He's here. As I say, Sammy Davis Jr. Um, we're a drain on our current situation as opposed to a help. So that's one of the reasons I count myself so blessed and lucky that I'm able to do this. And it's all going to end at some point mm. for all of us. There, there's an end game. I've stretched it out and reinvented myself over and over again. Um, but there's an end game to all of this. Some, there's a point where the phone doesn't ring anymore. You know, I talked about that with Tommy a lot is, you know, because average studio guitar player, the guys I liked and the guys that were here in the 70s and 60s and 80s, 90s, you had an arc of about five years of three, three dates a day. It's it's exhausting. I did that when I got here. When I first got here, I was doing three dates a day, seven days a week. It cost me my first marriage and it was exhausting. You can only do that. It's like a baseball player. And then you have to curve out of it. And go into producing or something else. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. It's a it's a it's a weird thing. Um, I always dreamed of those days. I I always wished that I could have been a part of that, but I, I just missed it. I came in on the tail end. Yeah. Tail end. A, a really great friend of mine, Teddy Castellucci, who's a film composer, right. did a bunch of Sandler movies. I did those with him. Uh, he told me that uh, Jay Graydon told him he was ten years too late for the job he was prepared for. And Teddy and I are the same age. And Mm. I thought, boy, he was really right about that. Because by the time we got here, late 90s, most of what we wanted to do was over and gone. And I think that's the same for everybody. If you came here now and wanted to do, um, you know, like I have people go, oh, my God, you worked on Pinky and the Brain. You worked on whatever. That was the golden age of cartoons. And when I was there, I didn't think it was a golden age of cartoons. I thought it was a pain in the butt. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I had to get this job done. That's all I cared. And it's got it. It's it's like the old joke. You know, are are we are we done today? And are we back tomorrow? Oh, right. You know. Yeah. Can I go get uh, dinner with my buddy or or with my family? And are we coming back tomorrow? What yeah. Time? The musician salute. Yeah. You know. 
right. That's like the, the old adage, how do you get a musician to complain? Yeah. Give him a gig. Give him a gig. Yeah. So how do you get him to complain even more? Tell him there's a rehearsal. Tell him there's a rehearsal. <laughs> complain even more. Yeah. You know, that there's yeah. going to be catering. There's oh, yeah, catering. but what kind of catering? What kind of catering, yeah. <laughs> Am I eating chicken crowed on blue again? Right. What a shame to have to do that. No, you're right. You're right. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at, at this whole thing is anybody is welcome to go anywhere and do anything they want, but do something meaningful at this point, mm. whatever that is to you. Do something meaningful, whatever that means to you. Um, and you've got... There's no more ladder out here, by the way, just so everybody knows. When I moved here, I came in at the tail end of the ladder system where you started as a, as a player or a gopher or something and you worked your way up and you, you, know, you tried to get in doing demos and then you know whatever you were doing, you started at the bottom and then you got a little further and then maybe you got to be a real player on an A-list thing and then maybe you got to be a, on to being a producer or a writer or you went on like I did into film playing and uh, orchestration and conducting and composition. That ladder doesn't exist. If you want to be a film composer, just come out here and do it. Don't waste your time on the other stuff. Nobody's going to go, wow, man, great. That guy's an orchestrator. Let's give him a chance to write a film. It doesn't work that way anymore. It doesn't. They just go, oh, wow. great. That guy's an orchestrator. Oh, he gets you coffee. Good. Okay. <laughs> you know, it, there's no, the pigeonhole is really deep right now. Wow. So if you're going to come out and do something, come out and do what you want. Don't come out and do what someone else wants. That's right. I don't even think of myself as a noun anymore. I'm a verb. I think that was perhaps one of my favorite one-liners from you. I, I really don't. And that's, that's, I don't think of myself as a noun. If I'm a noun, I'm making someone else money. Mm. And I'm fine with making other people's money as long as I know that's what I'm doing and that's I'm okay with that. When you're a noun, though, you run a risk in this day and age of being put in that place and then you don't get all their other opportunities. Before you had a ladder, you could climb to get opportunities. Now you have to go... I am me all the time. Be yourself on purpose. Ah, uh, the best. I mean, wow, this episode, so many nuggets of wisdom. The best advice ever. I was just a noun for a long time. And then I finally learned, oh boy. You can be a that, verb all you want. That's right. Nobody said that's you can't. Right. I think I stole that from, um, there was an actor that said that one time on a thing. Right. Um, British actor, mm. you know, you just want to, you just want to be you, be you, whatever that is. That's what's valuable. I love that. Yeah, Hans, when he's looking for guys, for writers, he looks for people that are them. Mm. You got to remember, a guy like Hans has been around and reinvented himself since the late seventies. The That's video, right. uh, video killed the radio star is Hans. That's him playing keyboards. Wow. And programming. He was the first thing we all saw on MTV. Now that's so interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. He was the piano player in Video Killed the Radio Star. Him and Trevor Horn, I think, were in Trevor that band. Trevor Horn, right. All came, wow. went on to be great producers. And it was because they wanted to shoot a video. <laughs> and it was the first thing that played on MTV. So Hans has been here since the beginning. He's brilliant at reinventing himself and being who he is. That's something I learned from him. Mm. 
And that's really what it's all about. I say that all the time, reinvent, reinvent. I'm, I'm in that metamorphosis stage right now. It's a tough yeah. moment to be in. Ugh. It's uncomfortable. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. I hate it personally. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible to be in a state where you don't, you don't have a plan. Woo. Or nobody's going, yeah, that's a great idea. Am I going to have to cut you a, a check for being my therapist during this podcast? <laughs> Everything you're saying is so spot on. It, it, it's, it's one of those things. I, I give you permission. Go. Do it. Mm. Whatever it is, go do it. I mean, it, it, you got to give yourself the permission to do it. You got to jump. Got to jump. You got to jump. There's no hey, point. Hey, Van Halen said it. Jump. That's all the that's all the information I need from Eddie and, and David Lee Roth, right? Come hey man, on. if David Lee Roth says it, you know how he likes to expound. Exactly. Yeah, come on, you could do it. He's the golden-throated pitch man of our century. That's I've right. never seen anybody that can talk like that guy. He's oh, awesome. That's right. He can sell manure to cows, oh, right? Oh boy. <laughs> You're not kidding. <laughs> Wow, Carl, I am so grateful to have oh, you here on man. the Career Musician Podcast. Thanks for indulging me. Absolutely. No, it's not indulging you. It's We are benefiting, and we are thankful for that. My pleasure. All right. Well, peace be with you. Stay safe, right? Absolutely. And uh, keep self-quarantining making that music. Yeah, that's all I can do. <laughs> you too. Stay safe, brother. Download, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Sign up for the Career Musician newsletter at thecareermusician.com. I'm just a nomad, nowhere man. Writing the songs in this one-man band. A nomad. This is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.